If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 9 this morning. It's already 11.20. Praise God. You guys still got some time in you? You still got to receive? Hallelujah. God's got good things. Man, I am so fired up and encouraged by what God's doing and what he's going to do. There's so many things in front of us. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man what God's prepared for those who love him. But by his spirit, he's revealing these things. So let's just lift our hands. Father, we thank you, Holy Spirit, this morning. You're revealing things. You're opening the eyes of our heart to see what is the hope of your calling. What is the, what is the glory of your inheritance in the saints? What is surpassing power, Lord, towards us believe? Lord, you're surpassing power towards us who believe, God. Let, thank you for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, Lord, that your word is as a two-edged sword. Lord, it pierces and it divides asunder the soul and the spirit and it reveals the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We open our hearts to you, Lord. We say, let your word work in us this morning. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. So I don't know if we're able to get those slides up. I wanted to share a picture. Is it working? Come on, give Evan a hand up. These guys, this is the first time. This is the first time we've been doing the online thing without being here, and these guys have stepped in, so we appreciate you, man. Love you. It's a big deal. It's a big deal for us. Um, they're, oh, there it is. All right. So this is a picture of a, a field that's uh, on this dirt road. So when we went to Idaho, we had to go to Coeur d'Alene, then we went north about a half hour, then you turned onto this dirt road to get to our camp location. And as we were going through, when we arrived, we looked off in these fields, and these fields were just ready for harvest. These fields were just ready for harvest, and, but they had, not been, they had not done it yet. And so um, then I went out for a run on the Wednesday morning, because I was sleeping so well in that great room. Um, <laughs> praise God. And then, so I got up, and you go to the next slide. And there they were. That big combine. How many were here last week for Pastor John's message? Oh, it was good. It was good. If you didn't get it, go online and get on the podcast or listen to that. But he mentioned the combine. Yeah. And I was thinking, you know what? I just saw a combine today. <laughs> And that was Wednesday, and as I was looking at that, during the week we were there, they began to harvest those fields. And I was looking at that hot comb, and I was looking at, well, you remember how hard it used to be? I, I have a deep respect for those who work the land. Yeah. I grew up in suburbia, so I, don't, I know nothing about farming. Come on. But as I go through it and I see this, and I see this amazing machinery that they're using to, to harvest this field, that the work that used to be just tiring labor of just threshing the wheat and trying to get those grains out and getting the chaff off and all that work this one machine does and the holy spirit spoke to me he goes i am that combine and i am bringing a harvest it's time to reap in the midst of all this chaos and crisis and everything that's going on this year i'm bringing forth a harvest and so one of the emphasis in our prayer focus not only tonight, but next month, is that is preparation for the harvest. Everything we're doing in this season is to prepare for the harvest because we believe it's coming. We believe it's here, and we believe it's now. You guys got quiet. We believe it's now. 
So my message this morning for you is this vision for the harvest. Vision for the harvest. And, it, it, and when we were going into 2020, how many know everybody had these words over 2020? And they say, oh, it's 2020, so it's a year of clarity. Anyone had clarity this year? <laughs> it's not over yet. It's not over. Amen, Scott. It's not over yet. But there's... But I think there is clarity, and I'll tell you why. Because God's beginning to expose things. He's exposing evil. He's exposing hearts. We've had two messages in a row talking about God testing hearts, and that includes us. Now, he's not the author of all this stuff happening. Come on. Now, someone at, we, have a, we have a time at camp where they call coffee pot. And, and we came up with this, Carol and I did back probably about 12 years ago, 13 years ago, and it was totally random. We wanted to have them, the youth have a chance to write questions that they would not, Josh Young, you remember this, they write questions that they would not, rem, that we, they would not, they didn't have the boldness to speak out loud, right? How many know, have, have some questions we were afraid to ask them? Now, some of those questions we'd read them and we'd be like, okay, that's for another time. All right. But some, some of those questions got to things. And when we did, so we said, we're going to have coffee pot on Wednesday morning. And we're going to go through their questions. And the first question was this. Did God cause COVID? And I'm like, oh, I got this one. <laughs> and I asked, I asked the youth and they came back and they said, no, somebody was messing with bats. I said, come on, that's it. <laughs> so we need to have clarity about what, who is behind what God gets blamed for a lot of things God gets blamed for a lot of things you ever look at your insurance policy do you know how the insurance companies define acts of God not good things it's for the church to redefine acts of God come on this is what acts of God look like amen so in the midst of all this God is bringing he is bringing clarity but not probably the way we expected because evil's being exposed both in the world, and I'm going to say something, in the church. James says judgment begins in the house of God. There's things that are being exposed so that God can bring revival. There's reasons why we don't, revival does not come, and it's not, God hold, it's not God who doesn't want it to come. There are conditions in the church that are preventing it. And so he's exposing things so that, they, that, that will make way for the move of God. So evil's being exposed, but also a harvest is coming. And so I said, look, guys, while we were here, they began to harvest these fields. I believe it's a prophetic picture of what God's doing in our hour. I believe it's a prophetic picture of what he wants to do in this youth, but not only that, in this generation, not only that, in this church, but not only that, in, this, in the churches of this entire area of the nation. And so, to prepare for the harvest, we must have a vision for the harvest. Let's look at Matthew 9.35. I'm going to do auctioneer preaching this morning, all right? Can we do that? I'm kidding. I can't even do that. Jesus was going through the city, all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming. Somebody say proclaiming. The gospel of the kingdom. Do you notice those first two letters of gospel? Go. Go. I know it's an English language thing, but... And healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Jesus was about it. It's describing everything Jesus was doing in that chapter. He was doing all of that, proclaiming, teaching, healing. 
every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. How many know there, it's not enough just to teach and to proclaim? There's got to be a demonstration of the gospel. And I believe we're in an hour, a generation who needs to see the demonstration of the spirit and of power. They're saying, I want something real. I want something real. I want something true. I want something authentic and genuine. Tell me who your God is. Show me who your God is. Don't just tell me who your God is. Show me who your God is. I love this. Jesus was going. I'm going to say this. And because he went, mm, and then he sent, next chapter he sends them. We are now to be going. Oh, you got quiet. We are now to be going. You say, Pastor, we're locked up. We're in lockdown. We're like, no, you're not. You are not. You can still go. Come on. I know you're going to the grocery store. I know you're going to the gas station. I know you're going some places. You can still go. There's still a place. There's still a sense of mission and purpose in this world that we still have. Now, let's see. Jesus had a very busy chapter. All right? He had starts with healing the paralytic. Remember the four guys bring him, and he says, your sins are forgiven, gets the Pharisees, religious people all upset, and then he raises them up. He heals the women with the issue of blood. Now, that, that, that was her pursuing him, but nevertheless, she was healed. Come on. Yeah, right. Fought through that crowd. Oh, it was a good day. Then, he, then he's on, while he's on his way to the city of Nain, where he meets a widow who's just lost her only son. And he says, don't weep. And he raises the dead woman, dead, dead son. And then, uh, then from there on, he's just traveling, he's going, and then he's got the two blind men who hear that he's coming, and they're, they're yelling out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. And he turns and he heals them. Come on, somebody, this is a good day. And then, he's, then he casts out the demon and the possessed man, and then he gets the Pharisees all upset, and they're saying, oh, he casts out demons by the finger of Beelzebub. So here he is, he's getting accused, he's getting mocked, he's getting all this stuff blasphemed, if you will, and yet he does not lose sight of his mission and his purpose. He keeps going. And I'm going to tell you, in the season we're in, church, you're going to face some stuff, but you can't lose sight of your vision, you can't stop going. Jesus was undeterred in the face of blasphemy and mockery. We as the church need to understand how to maintain mission in the face of a resistance in this coming season. One thing I know for sure, persecution is going to increase, but God is raising up a church who has a strong backbone. That's another prayer focus, that we would be strong to stand in the battle. Amen? Don't be afraid. God is for you. God is with you. He's already told you. You got the promises. We're going to go into the land and take it. Amen, church. Will we be thrown off our game when they hurl false accusations and every sort of evil word spoken against us? So, going on in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, he says, seeing the people. Somebody say, seeing the people. He felt compassion for them. Because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Woo. How do we see people? How do we see them? Do we have the eyes and the vision of Jesus to see what he sees? 
He didn't just see, but he saw from the heart. He saw through their facade. He saw through everything they put up, and he saw to the heart, and he saw to their situation, their condition, and he saw and he felt compassion. So number one in having a vision for the harvest is to see the people. Don't just go through your day just letting people pass by. God is going to, if you will avail yourself to him, God will put you in the path of people who are hurting, who are needing, who need the gospel, who need to be healed, who need a word of encouragement, who might just need your smile, who might just need somebody to say, hey, man, God loves you. Come on, somebody. He'll put them in your path. If you will avail yourself, just begin to see what he sees. If you'll ask him, he'll show you. He'll show you. Do we look on the outward as man does? Can we see past the facade? Can we see past the picture-perfect rendering? Come on, somebody of their life on Facebook. And see the pain, the anguish, the confusion, the oppression. They are suffering. Can you see it? When they spit in your face, when they yell at you, when they make fun of you, can you see it, young people? Can you have the vision that Jesus did on the cross? Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Compassion. All right. Compassion. It means to be moved as to one's inwards. All right? I'm going to talk. I'm not getting potty, but I'm going to talk about a different kind of bowel movement. The bowels were considered the seat of empathy and pity. But see, this isn't pity. Pity is something you feel, but you don't necessarily act on. All right? Bear with me a moment, church. But when you got to go, you got to go. Come on, you know it. But what if God's love moves upon your heart that you got to go? You got to go. You got to do something. You can't sit inactive. You are moved towards them. That's compassion. It's not, it's not with inaction. It is with action. It's love in action. It's moving towards the situation, towards the condition, towards that hurt, towards that pain, and bringing healing. So Jesus was moved with compassion. It's what drove him. It's what compelled him forward. He saw people, and he saw their condition. He was moved towards them. In Matthew 14, 14, he came ashore and he healed the sick. The Bible says that his compa- that compassion moved him to heal the sick. It moved him to feed the hungry crowd who had been gathered with him for days. It moved him to heal the two blind men. It moved him to heal the leopard. When that man sent, came up to him, the leopard, come on somebody, the person with COVID who's coughing and hacking and says, will you touch me, heal me? Let's just put it in practical, modern-day terms. I'm willing. He touched the leopard. He touched the leopard. He touched the leopard. Church, we're going to touch some people who know what the world's not willing to get near. We're going to have to touch some people that the world's not, not willing to get near. The hurting, the lost, those, those that have been marginalized. That compassion drove him to deliver the father's demon-possessed son who was being thrown into the fire. You remember the story. The disciples had brought him to Jesus, and they said, we, we couldn't do it. This one's too big for us, Jesus. 
<laughs> he's like, oh, unbelieving generation. But that compassion he felt for that father whose son was being self, in self-destructive mode because of the enemy's possession. He set him free. You notice the actions here. These are actions that compassion drove him to. Luke 7, to raise the one and only dead son of the widow in name. The compassion, that same word, describes the Lord of the slave in Matthew 18, who owed so much. Anyone in debt this morning? You got some debts to deal with. He had a debt that would, some scholars will say was like $100 million in modern-day terms. But the Lord, the Lord of that slave was moved with compassion and forgave that full debt. That same compassion moved the Samaritan walking and seeing the man who had been robbed and ministering to him. That same compassion caused the father, come on, oh, it's not up here, but that, that glass thing behind the blue, if you can just imagine it for a moment, caused the father who saw the prodigal returning. He didn't wait for him to get to the house. Come on, somebody. He didn't wait for him to get to the house. He saw him, and that compassion, it says that it caused him to run towards him towards him. You move in the direction of the need. You move in the direction of the pain, the suffering, the condition. That's what that compassion moves you to. Amen? Yes. I had an experience that Pastor John alluded to last week. I was driving on 405 recently, a couple weeks back, and I was in the northbound lane right by 80, Northeast 85th Street, and there were some motorcyclists who were with a, a group, and they were trying to ride past me, and I could tell that I was in between them, and so I moved over to let them get together, and no sooner had I done that, about 20 seconds later, I watched as a man in the left lane of the normal lanes swerved to miss somebody in front of him and hit the motorcyclist, sideswiped him, and caused him to flip through the air and land on the cement right in front of me. And I had to stop, and then his buddy got knocked into the barrier, and then there was another guy. I, I mean, it was awful, and I, I just am like, what just happened? As I'm sitting there in the car, I'm like, what, Lord, do, we, do I do? And I see one man tending to this man on the ground, and I'm going, I have to pray for that man. I can't sit here. I can't sit here. So I walked up to him, and... He's breathing laboriously, and I never heard somebody breathe like that, and he's not responding. He's not responding. I mean, he was flying through the air. It was, it was traumatic. And so I just, I said, what's his name to one of his butt-riding buddies? And he says, his name's Bill. I said, well, Bill, I'm going to pray. I don't know if you can hear me, but I'm going to pray over you. I just prayed the life, the resurrection power of Jesus into that man. Turned around, there was a guy behind me, and he had been thrown off, and he was getting up on his own accord, but he was shaken up. And then comes the man in the truck, and he is so distraught. He's so distraught. And I'm like, man, I, what, how did I end up in this situation? <laughs> you just don't know what your day is going to bring. You better pray that Lord's Prayer. You don't know what's ahead of you each day. You don't know what you're going to face. We need to live prayed up and prepared every day because we just don't know. I was just so convicted and reminded of that. Going, I didn't go into this day expecting this to happen. Right, right. But I need to be ready for it. 
And you're 20, it's 2020. You got to be ready for who knows what. Come on, somebody. You got to be ready for who knows what. And I'm not saying that to brag or anything. I'm saying that I could not sit there. I didn't know what to do but pray. I can't help that guy medically. I don't know a thing. And there's a good thing that I'm not a doctor because I see people bleeding and I just, oh, I feel it. I know that was not my calling. Thank you, Lord. That's like 12 years of school. Come on. But I was compelled to move towards him. And it's a picture that all around us are people who on the outside might look good, but they're like that man. They've been thrown out. They're dispirited. They're distressed. You see some dispirited and distressed people, people who are ready to give up. In the midst of all this chaos and the media reporting on COVID, let me tell you another report. Suicides are through the roof. Suicides are through the roof. The devil is messing with people and trying to destroy them, and the media won't say that. You might be walking by somebody in Fred Meyer who is about ready to end it. May God give us the eyes to see what he sees. Help us to see the desperate plight of the lost around us. Amen? So one is seeing the people. Then he said to his disciples, verse 37, Matthew 9, he says, The harvest is plentiful. Oh, I want you to listen to those words. The harvest is plentiful. Right here is a mindset. See the opportunity, number two. The harvest is plentiful. Many times in church, it's too easy. We could sit back and say, oh, revival's coming, it's coming, it's coming. But God's saying, how about now? How about if you got a now mentality and you said, God, I don't don't want to wait anymore. Because he's just looking for some people who will say, my desire is what you desire. And they avail themselves completely to him. That's what brings revival, folks. Repentance and and us giving our lives, our own self, quit living this self-life, this preservation of self. And we give up and we get on that altar and we say, Jesus, 100% I'm yours. I'm 100% yours. I'm no longer myself, my own. I've been bought with a price. I'm yours and I want what you desire in this earth. Use me. I avail myself to you. But he says the harvest is plentiful. Do we have a harvest is plentiful perspective on this world? Do we see in this generation, in this hour, what Jesus saw in his time? Let me tell you something. This is why I believe it's plentiful right now. This crisis, this chaos is bringing people to a point of decision. You see, everything they've trusted in, everything they've believed in, Everything they put their hope in, financial, security of being healthy, all these things have been shaken. Come on, us sports fans, it's been shaken, right? It's it's just been gone. I don't want to watch sports with cutouts in the stands. (laughs) But it's all been shaken up. And so everything we've trusted has been shaken. And people are going, where do I put my hope? Where do I put my hope? They're ready. The harvest is ready. Can you see beyond the chaos 
and see the opportunity. The uncertainty we are living in has caused many to question their worldviews. You can believe this or that, this or that, until life proves and the fruit of that proves that don't work. Things are being shaken. Amen? They are longing for something lasting eternal in their lives, a hope that transcends the circumstances of this world, of this life. There are many in our communities and our neighborhoods whose souls are ripe for hearing and responding to the gospel of the kingdom. Come on. Not just a message that is taught and preached, but one that is demonstrated in power. I'm moving fast. Come on. John 4, 35. Let's look at that. It says, do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes. And look on the fields that they are white for harvest. Do you see it? Number three, I want to say this. See the urgency. See the urgency. Where did Jesus say this? He said it in Samaria. What is Samaria? It's some area (laughs) that you got to go to that's not comfortable. Come on. It's different. It's uncomfortable. It might be weird to you. These were the people the Jews rejected, but Jesus took a detour to meet this woman that was also culturally unsound at a well and ministered to her. And because he had ministered to her, because he had spoken the word of knowledge concerning her relationships and marriage, she took this testimony And it goes on in verse 36 of chapter 4 and tells how she went throughout the city there in Samaria and began to share. And many, somebody say many, many many believed. Because Jesus said, look, they're white to harvest. Why? Because this testimony is going forth in this city and things are about to change. Things are about to turn upside down. There's revival, there's transformation happening in this city. And it started with one encounter. Don't think that one encounter is insignificant. Every encounter you have with a person and you share the love of God is significant. Every count. Harvest time is not a time to relax. Oh, you guys got quiet. The fields are ripe. And ready to be picked. If you wait too long, what happens? The crop gets ruined. And what is the cost of waiting right now? The cost of waiting right now is that the seed of God's word gets choked in people's lives. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things comes in and chokes the word and they're not ready or able to receive. And, and, and they lose what God intends. There's an urgency to get the harvest before it's spoiled. Amen? Yes. John 9, 1 through 4, look at this. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Jesus answered, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now... Mike Siah has shared with me that there are words that have been added, and you look in the brackets, you'll see that. Now, if you take those out, here's how it reads. It says, Jesus answered, 
neither this man's sin nor his parents, but so that the works of God might be displayed in him, forget the period, we must work the works of him who sent him me as long as it is day. How's that sound different? No, God did not make that man sick so that he could display works. He just wanted to display works. Amen? He says, no, you guys are talking about the why, and I want to get into the healing now. And what do we do in church? Sometimes we'll do this. We sit back and we go, oh, man, look at all this stuff happening in the world. You know why that's happening, right? Well, you know, all these godless progressive people, they've infiltrated the halls of education and media and stuff, and that's what's happening. Yeah, that's all true, okay? But we can get too caught up in the why and not just get to healing people. We get too caught up in the conversation about the why and not get into the action and let the compassion of God move us towards those people who society says to reject or who maybe our movement or our philosophy or ideology says to reject. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. That means there's an expiration date. We don't want to miss out on opportunity. And in this case, again, Jesus had just left a hostile conversation with the Jews in which they implied that, one, he had been born of fornication. That was harsh. Two, he was an illegitimate son. And three, that he had a demon. And so finally when he said, they were talking about being sons of Abraham, he goes, well, I am. Bam! And they said, I am. You know what that meant. Oh, he's, he's saying he's God. I am. And they sought to stone him. The Bible says it was not his time. Why? Because he hadn't accomplished the mission and the purpose that God had sent him to accomplish. That moment, that interaction did not get him off his game. Are you with me this morning, church? Again, are we going to pass by or are we going to engage? Mission. He was on mission. He was on point. He was focused on the work of the kingdom before the opportunity was lost. Jesus' message is this. Our time and our moment of opportunity is limited. Work while it is day. Don't pass by, but engage. Amen. We are living, I believe this. I'm almost finished, folks. I'm moving fast. We are living in a season of acceleration. Two things the Lord spoke to me last year on August 9th. In a commute. Man, God can use a commute. Come on, he can redeem a commute. I know many of you don't have to commute anymore. You're like, thank you, Jesus. All right. But in that commute, the Lord spoke to me, and I was like lifting needs and just praying. And God says two things. He says, I'm going to fill the gaps, and I'm going to accelerate growth and maturity in my people. And I believe he's doing that, and he's going to do it. He's going to fill the gaps. Amen? Now is not the time to retire. But to refire. Come on. Gen Z is in a 911 situation. 911 situation. Just like that man on the road. George Otis has been, this has been a focus for him for probably six months, if not longer, actually a year and a half now, on Gen Z and the crisis with Gen Z. 
And the ones who are truly following the Lord, who are in the faith, they estimate at 4%. And if it drops to 2%, they believe there's no recovery. But we believe a different report. We believe that God's got a plan for this generation. But we got to call 911, and our prayers and our actions and our need to be of that intensity and urgency. Amen? So three, see the urgency. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest, he says in verse 38, to send out workers into the harvest. Here's the deal. When we have God's heart, and we have his vision, and we have this sense of urgency to pray, we pray with importunity. We pray until we get the answer. We don't give up. We don't give up. Come on. We need to pray for those intercessors who have felt like giving up. It's not time to give up, but it's time to press through. Keep pressing through. Keep pressing through. And they're gonna be, there's going to be some battles that are coming. There's going to be some battles that are coming, and we're going to have to do what they did for Moses and hold up his arms in the battle until there's victory. A 911 prayer for God to release the resources of heaven so that no part of the crop is lost. Amen? There is never an employment lack in the kingdom of God. There's never an employment lack in the kingdom of God. You don't need to be on unemployment in the kingdom of God. There's something to do. Amen? There's labor to do. There's something to do. And, and, and nothing is little. Nothing is little. All of it's significant. I'm closing. So th this is why they call it the work of the ministry. It's labor, but it's a labor of love. It's a labor of love, and God comes with his grace, and he fills you with that compassion. And guess what? It doesn't even feel like work because you're being compelled, empowered by the love and the grace of God. You know when God's used you and ministered through you, you know that, guess what, that you, you, you're, you're energized. Because God's power is flowing through you, and, and God's filling you as he does it. So there's not a lack. But in Matthew 10, he begins to send them. So guess what? When you pray for the laborers, be prepared for this. It might be you that's the answer to your own prayer. It might be you that's the answer to your own prayer. Hallelujah. Let's stand up. We're going to close this morning. Debbie, if you can come.